Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, what's up, everybody? It's your coach. Very excited to share this episode with the legend, the Miami legend, the Miami Zoo legend, Mr. Ron McGill. Uh, for this episode and for this event, I partnered up with uh, Zoo Miami. Foundation and the Sue Miami Foundation is hosting Feast of Beasts Rainforest Soiree on March 1st, 2024 at Zoo Miami. This annual fundraiser will have, from what I'm seeing here, great restaurants, great food, full open Bacardi bars, wild animal encounters, live entertainment. Uh, fabulous says here, to use the word fabulous, so fabulous silent auctions with trips, sports memorabilia, and jewelry. Main event participating restaurants, top-notch restaurants, top-notch stuff. For tickets, contact Zoo Miami, their website, and you can book there. You could also email them and set this up. Great event. We're very excited for March 1st, Feast of Beasts. Excited to partner up with Zoo Miami for this. And now here is the episode with Mr. Ron McGill. Let's go. What's up, everybody? It's your coach. Welcome to the most positive podcast on the internet. We're now the Coach HP Show, and I have a legend, a Miami legend here. I feel like I'm in the zoo wildlife principal's office, Ron. <laughs> no, you're in the office of the guy who's been here for 44 years, and this is all the crap that my wife won't let me bring home. Dude, when, when, when we think of you, we just think of happiness. Just, just straight happiness, that. man, and like fun and stuff. Your personality, it's almost perfect for this. Did you know your whole life you were going to do this, or is this something? I've always known I wanted to work with animals. Uh, originally, I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian because, you know, you want to, I love animals, so I want to be the doctor. I want to help them. On, right. uh, until I took my first chemistry course at the University of Florida, and I realized i got to come up with plan B. Right. Chemistry and me did not mix. Right. So uh, I decided I was going to work with animals, and I wanted to get into wildlife and wildlife conservation, so I got into the zoology program there. And one thing led to another. I started here as a zookeeper, actually not here, but before this zoo was built at the old Cranon Park Zoo in Key Biscayne, I started there as a zookeeper in 1980. Wow. Why this? Is this something that just came natural to you? You know, I tell kids all the time. I speak a lot at schools and to a lot of kids, and I try to tell them something. I said, I was always given advice when I was younger that when you pick a career, pick a career doing something you love to do. Don't pick a career for the money um, because... The money will eventually come if you do it well, but if it's something you love to do, it's not going to be work. And I, I mean, I, I say that really most sincerely that I'm here 44 years almost and, uh, you know, I've hardly had to work a day in my life because it's just something I love doing. When you get paid to do things that people pay to do, you know, I've, I've traveled around the world. I've been to Africa over 50 times. I've been to Central and South America over 100 times. I've been to Antarctica. I've been to the Arctic. I've been to... Been all over the world as part of my job, um, and I think a lot of people would say, "Gosh, I wish my job did that." No, of course, and <laughs> plus, just your stature in itself and the way you pop and stuff is is, <laughs> is awesome. So you were a basketball player before. I was. I was. How Bas do we end up in the basketball? World? I, I'm going to tell you something. 
uh, and I say this with the most profound sincerity, basketball in a way saved my life. I was a kid, I was born and raised in a small apartment in New York City. I was always very, very tall. Uh, and where I went to school in New York City, my first language was Spanish. My father was Cuban, my mother, they only spoke Spanish in the house, so that was my first language. And they did so smartly because they realized when I get to school, I'm gonna learn English. You're right, a kid, right, you're right, a sponge, right. right? But I went to school and I was learning English. I was incredibly tall. I've always been very, very tall for my age. And, um, and people just made fun of me. They called me all kinds of you know, ethnic names, spick. All, I mean, I was called all kinds of things because it wasn't a Hispanic neighborhood by any chance. It was a very you know, uh, Anglo-African-American right, right. school. And they called me all kinds of names. They called me Lurch. They called me Frankenstein. They called me, you know, Magilla Gorilla, which was a cartoon back then. Um, and it was hurtful. I mean, I was really bullied a lot back then. So I just kind of retreated into books. Uh, I retreated into books because that's all I had. I had no social friends, no nothing. I was just this bullied kid. Really? Yeah, it was really bad. Um, and, you know, retreating into books, I did very well. I did so well that, in fact, I skipped the fourth grade which in hindsight was a mistake. I wish I hadn't done that either because now I'm at a higher level with kids older than me. Yeah. I'm not as mature as they are, um, even though I'm taller still than all of them, okay? It was just worse, and it didn't allow me to catch up to myself. I was so uncoordinated. And it wasn't until I walked in the halls of my high school, in Miami Palmetto High School here in Miami, Florida, that um, a coach came up to me and says, you're trying out for basketball. And I laughed. I, I could hardly walk. Hector, when I tell you I was so uncoordinated, I was just, my body hadn't caught up to my height. Right. Okay. Um, I said, no, no. He said, no, you're coming out to try out for basketball. I said, fine, I'll do it. But, I, you know, I'm not going to make the team. So, so we have tryouts. You know, you do the layups for tryouts. And I remember the first time I went to, I tripped and I fell. Oh, man. I tripped and I fell. And everybody's laughing at me. It was just so overwhelmingly embarrassing for me. I just, I wanted to crawl under a hole. So we went through this whole thing, you know, and I went, and then at, the end of the tryouts, you know, the coach puts the list up on the bulletin board of who made the team. And my name's on the list. And I'm dying because guys who didn't make the list were so much better than I was. They could run circles around me. These guys were ball players. They were ballers all the time, okay? And I went into the coach literally in tears. I went to his office and said, Coach, you're killing me. I, I can't do this. I mean, they're, they're making fun of me out there. Uh, these guys can kill me. Why did you pick them? They were much better. And he looked at me, and I'll never forget. He just smiled and goes, he called me Ronald. He was the only guy that really called me Ronald. Yeah. He goes, Ronald, let me give you some insight. You can't coach height. I'll teach you how to be a basketball player. And that man was one of the most significant men in my life. His name is Coach Jay Bounton. And every day after practice, I mean, I couldn't even keep up with the guys at practice. I was so bad. He would spend two hours with me after practice every day, one-on-one. -on -one. Showing me how to box, showing me how to use both the left and the right hand, showing me the proper form, make the U, you know, on your toes, all these things. I make a long story short, you know, by the time I left in my senior year, I was an honorable mention all-city player. I, nice. I was able to, to walk on the practice team at the University of Florida. I went there to go to vet school, but yeah. I wasn't going to get into vet school. So, you know, I, I was able to walk on the practice team there, and you know, I played pretty well. I, I won the one-on-one uh, the, the -on -one intramural all-campus champion at the University of Florida. Yes. Uh, I remember the first time I dunked the ball in, the first time I did a 360 dunk, I went, whoa, this is incredible, you know. Nice. What basketball did for me was it gave me a sense of self-confidence, it also gave me a sense of teamwork. I realized basketball is so much a team sport. It really is. You know, we ran offenses that were complicated. You had to be smart. You, 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 you really, you can't be stupid 
and play good organized basketball. Right. Because right. you know you have play. You got to run plays. You got to do things correctly, um, and you depend on your teammates. And those guys became some of my closest to this day. You know, almost fifty years later, wow. I still keep in touch with them. Wow. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, one of my closest friends is a very, very, very influential lawyer here in town now. Another one went on to play pro baseball, Major League Baseball for 20 years. Nice. Um, we all still keep in touch. They were groomsmen in my wedding. Whoa. So those, those friendships, those allegiances that we created um, are for life. And, and basketball saved my life because all of a sudden you become a good player and when I started, I'll never forget the first time I started on a varsity team, nice. you know, all of a sudden the girls are calling out your yeah. name and you're kind of a cool guy and that, that was just a huge confidence booster. School is much more than um, grades. School is social acclimation, you know, getting your social... I love that you brought that up because I believe in you, the perfect guy to ask this question. We do it for animals, but we don't do it for kids. Yeah. Like, for some reason, you understand that if we bring an animal from wherever you bring it in, there's a whole process yeah. to introduce him right. to this. You're right. We do not do it for kids for some reason. Yeah. Why do you think that is, man? I think the system is overwhelmed. I really think the system is overwhelmed. You know, we look at uh, the kids struggling these days, the families struggling. You got, you know, sometimes single-parent homes. You got parents working two jobs, um, can't afford daycare, you know. These things are, are, are very, very difficult challenges to right, overcome. Right, right. And, um, you know, you have kids growing up way faster than they should be growing up. And that's a sad thing for me. That's why I'm such a big fan of, you know, like the boys and girls clubs, you know, the, 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 the programs that provide avenues for kids to be with other kids and to stay out of trouble and keep them going. Yeah. Um, sports, I can't say enough about it yeah. um, in that sense, that it gave me a sense of purpose. It gave me a sense of belonging. It gave me a sense of pride. And, um, you know, when I was young, I used to hate my height because oh, people made yeah. fun of it all the time. Yeah. And my father used to tell me, he says, son, I promise you the day will come when you'll be very thankful for your height. How and tall was your dad? My dad was 6'3", but I'm almost 6'7". That's a good height. It was a great height, you know. But I remember when I got taller than him, I look up, I go, Papi, I'm, I'm taller than you. No, no, I, I remember I said, Papi, I'm bigger than you. And he grabbed me by the shoulders. He goes, you're taller than me. Bigger yeah. than me, you'll never be. <laughs> Typical Cuban. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Typical <laughs> yeah, Exactly, exactly. Exactly what he said. <laughs> so it was, really, it was really a great experience. Um, but then, yeah, he was right. Because I got to the point where, you know what? Hector, I've never had to be in a physical fight in my life. Yeah. You know, and when I get into a room, I see people looking at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they don't look at me like the geek, the lurch. They go, wow, oh, that guy's got a presence. Yeah, he's, he's got a, a presence. presence. He's a presence. Yeah. You know, you're six foot seven. And, and, and in high school, it was harder because I was, in my junior in high school, I was six foot five. Yeah. And I weighed 180 pounds. Now I'm six, almost six, seven. And I weigh like close to 240. I mean, I could lose some weight, but still, I can't imagine myself almost 60 pounds lighter than right. I am now yeah, and just yeah, two yeah. inches shorter. Yeah, it's crazy. I was I was a gangly, just a joke. I looked like a, you know. How did your dad, because I'm big into the father-son relationship. Oh, yeah. I'm huge into it. That, that's, that's what I do. That's the premise of what I do. How did your dad play a part in all this? Because you're Cuban, living in New York. The name McGill, where is that? Is that a Polish name? No, it's an Irish name. Irish. Irish name. And, and, and actually, that kind of saved me. Because what I did was when I... I purposely, and I'm ashamed to say this now, but I purposely forgot Spanish because it was such a bad association with the bullying and the stuff. I was fortunate to have the last name McGill. It wasn't Rodriguez. It wasn't Rivera. You know, yeah. it was Ron McGill, which is pretty English. Not Rolando. No, no, Ronald. Ronald. As a matter of fact, my father never really liked the name. He wanted to call me Reynaldo. 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 Yeah. You know, 
And no, my mother said Ronald, and I hate the name Ronald, so I was going with Ron. Um, and, you know, for me, it was one of those things where he was an example for me in the sense that the name McGill helped me get by that other stuff, but he said, don't, don't forget your roots. You know, be proud of your Hispanic heritage. And that's one thing, uh, I, I'm ashamed to say it took me a little too long to find that out, because for a while I was embarrassed by it. You know, no, my, he can't blame you, though, because it's like that. Yeah. It's like, as I look at your office, right, I'm the kind of guy that, I was born in Cuba. Yeah. I was raised here in, a, in Miami. But I started to figure out why am I anti-Miami, in the sense of, like, I don't root for Miami team. Right. Never, you know. <laughs> and to my purpose, which is very similar to your story, so my dad prepared me for everything in life except to deal with him. Yeah. So he beat the shit out of me <laughs> through baseball, like when I did bad, like brutally, really, really, really bad. And I, in my brain and my subconscious, I, I started to think about this. Not because when I speak in places and I talk to parents and all stuff and schools, I'm like, that, how I associated Miami with getting abused. Yeah. So anything that was out in Miami, I was like, oh, this is great, you know? Yeah. My question for you, being like a Miami guy for like forever, right? And I see all these pictures here, all these Miami people and stuff. What have you learned, man? What have you learned? Because when everybody comes to you with happiness, right. they're like, oh, the animal guy, it's whatever. What have you learned about people? That people are basically good. Uh, and one of the things I'll say, and I know I, I made some people angry when I did this. Um, I talk about my father and the Cuban heritage. And I always looked at my father, his behavior and stuff as being New York. Because I would see it as a small kid. I moved down here when I was 12. But as a small kid with my dad going to work with him in New York, he was with his Cuban buddies up there. So that's what, I thought that was New York. Right. You know, my father's always singing and happy and cooking, blah, 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 blah. A few years back, I was invited to go to Cuba to do a study on wildlife. There was a conservation because Cuba has some of the most pristine reefs in the world, nice. some of their wildlife, because they haven't had much <laughs> development, you know. Right. So I went down there, and the Cuban people moved me to my core. Uh, I'm not talking about the government. I'm talking about the people, right. the salt yeah. of the earth, the people right. living off the land there. You know, I did a show for, God, almost 30 years called Sabado Gigante. And that show is an iconic show in the Hispanic community, but Absolutely. it's not allowed to be viewed in Cuba. I remember getting off the plane there, and everybody told me, oh, you're going to get persecuted. They're going to because I have my cameras, and I'm a photographer, and, and they're going to take your stuff. And you're gonna, I said, okay, well, let's see what happens. I'm just going down there to speak about conservation. And the, the customs lady comes up to me, you know, dressed in a formal uniform and stuff. And she goes, Permiso, senor. Excuse me, sir. You're the guy from Salvador. And I looked at her like, yeah, I am. And she goes, yeah, that's him. And she calls her partner over and they take a picture with me on the tarmac. And I'm nice. going, and I'm walking down Old Havana and people are screaming my name from the balcony. And they're coming down. They're offering me food that they don't have. They want me to have dinner with them. Nice. I saw in those faces my father. My father had since passed away, but I saw my father in the faces of all those people. And I realized I am the way I am because of my father. He is the way he was because of Cuba. Because of the island. Yeah. Because of the island. Because he left the island before Castro took it over. Right. He brought with him everything that was good about that island. And my father was a strict man. Don't get me wrong. He was one of those guys that believed the louder he yelled, the writer he was, okay? Um, he didn't beat me, but I got a spanking every now and then, good ones. You know, uh, the worst one I ever got was when I hit my sister. I remember hitting my sister. He lifted me up with one hand by my ankles upside down and took the belt off and, wow. and 
I mean, hit my butt like you wouldn't believe. There was welts on it. And, he, and he, it was such a passion. His, don't you ever raise a hand to a woman. I go, it's not a woman. It's my sister. And she threw a shoe at me. I don't care what you said. You never raise your hand to her. Right. He was very strict about that. You know? right. He was very formal in the way, on my prom, I'll never forget it, on my prom date. You know, I brought my date over to meet my parents. And then we're walking out the door. And I went walking out the door before my prom date. And in front of my prom date, my dad grabbed me by my collar and pulled me back and goes, if I ever see you do that again, walk oh, out without man. holding a door oh, for the woman, I will, I will send you into yesterday. I remember thinking, oh my God, he's in front of my date. You yeah, know, I mean? my date was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get you in trouble. Like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> to that day, I never... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Walk out of a door in front of a woman. Right, right. I always open my car door for my wife of 35 years. I still always, always right. because it's something instilled in me and my father. Um, he was very big about that. He was big about that and another kind of, I don't know what, to, what, what you call it, pet peeve of his was dirty dress shoes. You gotta have your cleats always polished and clean. Never go out with dirty shoes. Nice. So these were things that, you know, and my dad was very loving to my mom. I mean, till the day he passed away, every week he brought her gladiolas, flowers. Yeah. They were very, nice. you know, I just thought that that's the way everybody was. And I come to learn what that. What a good example. Man. Yeah, he was, he was a great example. What do way. you miss the most about him? Do you miss him a lot? Do you think I do him miss him. I, I do miss him a lot, but I gotta be honest with you, I feel him a lot. Really? I feel him a lot. I really do. There are times I hear him talking to me. Um, I guess I miss his laugh the most. He had yeah. a very robust laugh. You know, he was 6'3", but like 265. He was a big guy. What was his name? Guillermo. Guillermo Alejandro Maguire. You know, okay. I, uh, and uh, he, he was a very powerful personality. He loved to sing. He always got up early. On weekends, I hated it because he would knock on the door like at 7 o'clock in the morning. You know. This weekend, you know, as a kid, you could sleep till yeah, noon. Kill, yeah. yeah, my dad, no, no, everybody up, come on. <laughs> and he cooked breakfast, he always cooked, and he cooked way too much all the time. He always made way too much food, which is why he had a little bit of a weight problem. Um, but I, and looking back, it was culture, you know? Yeah, um, it absolutely. Just, it's culture, and it's a culture that I'm really proud of. Nice. Uh, you know, and I see it every day, Hector. When I go out in public, for instance, you know, sometimes people recognize me from, from television and stuff, and the difference between, I say, an Anglo person and a Cuban person is an Anglo person might see me in public and you see they're staring and they'll talk to the person next to them, that's the guy from the zoo, that's the guy from the zoo, that's the guy from the zoo. Cuban person is they hug me, you know, come on, like they've known me for years. You know, and it's just, it's something I'm very proud of. It's something that reflects, I think, a beautiful part of our culture that I wouldn't trade for anything. Dude, one of your, I think one of our iconic things is you on the Dan Levertar show. Oh, Levertar. That is like, Special. I remember the segments where people would just call in yeah. and ask about animals and this and that, or whatever. Talk to me about your experience with that man, because that was new. That was interesting. There was never a, no, 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 no. An Dan, animal person. Or Dan, like Dan, that. Dan, and I became friends many years ago, um, and he's very similar to me. He comes from a Cuban family, right. you know. He's very yeah. uh, and he's very good at depicting that Cuban culture, um, but he's probably the most eloquent, articulate person I've ever known. Nobody right. writes better than Dan. Yeah, he's a, like a poet. Yeah, incredible. So, um, 
we started doing the show when it was at 790, you know, AM 790, the ticket. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just this stick where I did this thing about animals, you know. It seemed to be kind of popular. People liked it, and Dan loved it. And Dan always wanted this show to be more than just sports. sports yeah. So um, he did that, and then ESPN said, oh, we're going to hire you. You're going to go national ESPN. So I said, okay, great. That was a great ride. A great ride. He goes, no, no, you're going with me. I go, Dan, it's ESPN, the sports network, okay? He goes, I don't care. You're going with me. I go, Dan. So I said, okay, and I did it. And then the ESPN suits got on him. They said, what is this guy with the animals? We're a sports network. And Dan, I saw the, he showed me the email. He says, either he's on the show with me or I'm not doing it. I said, are you out of your mind? This is a national break for you. This is huge for you. This yeah, is everything yeah. you've dreamed of doing. He goes, no, I represent Miami. This is what I'm about, Miami. Wow. And I want everything that is Miami, and you're Miami, and you're coming to the show yeah, with me. Man. So I did it. And slowly but surely, the suits liked it because they realized it was getting huge numbers. My of segments course, were getting big numbers. Of course. And then, um, then ESPN called me up and had me on SportsCenter to do some stick similar to what we did with Dan. Dan got so pissed off, he wrote them a letter and dropped F-bombs and everything, an email saying, how dare you take him and put him on SportsCenter when you try to have him stop being on my show, you bunch of effing hypocrites, blah, blah. Yeah. He let him have it. I go, Dan, what are you crazy? Blah, 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 you know? And that was, almost, that was almost like the beginning of the end of that relationship with ESPN. Right. He did not like to be told what to do creatively. Nice. Dan took great pride in his creative creative artistry of the program and what he wanted the program to be. And it wasn't just me, it was other segments also, but he was very offended by a bunch of suits trying to tell him about his culture in Miami. And, you know, that's when they went off on the pirate ship, and now they're yeah, one of the biggest podcasts in no, the world. No, and, and it's because Dan stood by his, you know, I've been doing that show now for, gosh, over a decade. Amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. Thinking about social media and stuff and show and podcasts, I see you have a microphone there with yeah. your stuff. Do you have your own? Do you ever think of your own? Is that like too much for you? I'm not good for that, man. I'm not good really? for that. Really? Yeah, oh no, no. I not, disagree, but no, I'm not good for that. Why do you think that? I'm just not good for that. I, I don't I don't have the creative mind for that. Listen, I'm a good storyteller when we talk about animals or I have somebody like Dan, you know, feeding me great questions that are easy to answer and easy to extrapolate on. Um, when you when you have a guy who can interview you the right way or whatever for that matter, interview you the right way, that's that makes it easy. If I had to come up with a show, if I had to come up I'm just not that smart. No, I'm not you've been smart. interviewed so many times. To you, what makes a good interview? Uh, well, that's hard to say. I mean, I, I think it's when I don't have to struggle to um, to make it interesting. You know, that, that that they give you good questions, or they feel like you feel like, well, listen, they've 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 looked into you. You know, right. the fact that you know about me and Levitar, you know, my New York. Yeah, I, I understand you've actually done some research before you talk to me. And that's great, you know, as opposed to someone who just gets a little bio and say, okay, well, and then they go yeah, forward. You know? that yeah, that's, that, that doesn't work. Let me ask you a question. People and animals, right? Usually people who love animals don't like people that much. That's true. Right? You know, I, I got to tell you something. When I started in this business, God, like I said, almost 44 years ago now, I got into this position. But when I started working in this, in this business, people worked with animals because they didn't want to work with people. That was the bottom line. Uh, and the people who worked with animals tend to be a little reclusive. You know, they felt safe with animals. They felt they could trust animals. They just didn't trust people, or, you know, or they didn't have any kind of public speaking ability. I'm very fortunate because of my father, especially. He was such an outgoing guy, and he right. could speak to hundreds of people without a problem and had no, no shyness associated with him. So I always looked at that as being normal. So I've never had a fear of public speaking. Um, it's been the great job security for me because yeah, at the end of the day, a lot of people have a huge, huge fear of public speaking. So I never had a fear of that, but that's changed now. I'm going to tell you, the people now getting into the business, 
That's changed with the advent of social media. Right. Because right. everybody now is, look at me, look at me, look at me. What can I do to get more clicks, more likes? Even Work in your animals. field you're seeing. Yeah, oh, absolutely in my field. I'm seeing people now in my field who like want to be hosts on television programs or do their own podcasts and stuff. And they want to get people's attention by, you know, holding a baby tiger or, you know, being under a giraffe or doing something to say, look at me, look at me. Whatever it's going to do to get clicks because they want to be an influencer. Right. Social media has changed the entire tapestry of this, of this social structure now. Um, you know, there's certainly good things about social media, but there are a lot of bad things about it, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not regulated. We don't talk about it. There's no it. accountability. There's no accountability. That's the problem. The no accountability. One's gonna, no one's going to grab a snake and go, okay, look, Ron, I'm about to grab a snake. How should I do exactly. it? Exactly. They're just going to grab it, and hopefully the snake bites him. Bites exactly. Do something else. Clicks. That's what they want. Yeah, they want yeah. clicks. They, they promote sensationalism. They prom promote catastrophes. Right. When things go wrong, you know, it's like, you know, when you watch a race, a NASCAR race, what are the highlights? Yeah, the Rex, yeah, the Rex, yeah. those are the Rex. That's what they show you, you know, Damn. that in the winter circle. But that's just, I think that's just society. That's what we do. I, and I got to tell you, Hector, I carry a, I say it over and over, I carry a huge chip on my shoulder because I get a lot more credit than I'm due. You know, a lot of people come up to me and, oh, I love the work you do at the zoo. I love what you do with that. And I don't work nearly as hard as I did 20 years ago. Now I talk about the people that work at the zoo. I tell the stories about what they right, do at the zoo. Right. But I'm not really doing the work anymore. You know, it's, it's something that you feel guilty about because these people who deserve the credit are not getting the credit because they're not on television, not on the radio, they're yeah, not doing the these face, things. The, in the face, so you get a lot of credit you don't deserve. I'm a classic example of that. A lot of the credit I get, I don't deserve, uh, and it really should be deflected to these people that you don't see. Nice. I want to talk about Feast the Beast. Feast with the Beast, baby. Talk to me about it that. is the biggest, to me, most fun fundraiser uh, in the entire South Florida. You know, I get invited to a lot of these galas, these balls and stuff to raise money for charities. But the zoo's Feast with the Beast is great. Why? First of all, because it's at the zoo. We get some of the best restaurants in town, you know, sometimes 25, 30, 35 restaurants, set up stations throughout the zoo walkway. Nice. We've got this entertainment comes in. You get to sample all the food from these different places. You know, we got people, you know, all kinds of, 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 of restaurants, you know, that set up great food. We've got a VIP section that has some of the real upper-class restaurants up there serving steaks and all kinds of incredible high-end liquors, open bars all over the place. Great entertainment. We have some ambassador animals that come out. You have these great animal encounters with animals. You know, the zoo is transformed at night. When you see the zoo at night, you almost don't recognize it because the lighting here is so... Well, especially the heat. It's not hot. Too. It's, it's beautiful. Cooler. It's beautiful. It's yeah, it's, 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 it's March 1st. I think it's... Yeah. yeah. And, and it's March 1st. It's still... The climate's beautiful. The food is delicious. The music, the entertainment, um, the visuals. And it's a walking, you know... It's not black tie. It used to be black tie. Thank God they changed that yeah, because who the heck wants to come in black tie and heels and walk, you know, <laughs> right, right. So we recommend that you look nice. You know, you don't want people in cutoffs and T-shirts, right. but you look nice. It's a nice sport coat, comfortable shoes, and you mingle. You know, a lot of these, these um, fundraisers, you go to a hotel and everybody's assigned to a table. You sit at the table and you watch some person on stage talking all this stuff about the charity, right? Right. That's not what this is. This is you're walking through the zoo. You're intermingling with everybody. You have, you know, close to 1,000 people come to nice. this thing. And you go through all these restaurants, you eat till you're going to blow up with food. Some of the best uh, liquors, the best foods, great entertainment, animals encounters. It's a great event that uh, people should, should encounter. What, uh, what ambassador animal can we look forward to seeing that you know? Uh, I'm sure they'll probably bring out a sloth. They'll probably bring out maybe a uh, Patagonian cavey, which looks like a massive guinea pig. You know, probably bring out a big python. I know the snakes make people uh, uh, nervous. But you know what? It's funny how people are still fascinated with something they're really afraid of as long as they feel they can 
view it safely. Absolutely, absolutely. You know? So yeah, there's got the, uh, different birds, owls, and parrots and stuff like that. So different ambassador animals will be coming out there. Right Dude, now. I love it. Ron, last question. I'm so thankful for your time, man, and your 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 sharing of your journey, your story. I love it, dude. I always ask my guests at the end, question for me. What can I help you with? Ask me a question. What do you think is the most critical age for a boy to become a successful adult? What do you think is the age? Is it elementary school? Is it middle school? You know, what, what is the age where you think you can make the greatest impact? That's a good question, okay. man. That's, that's a real good question. Do you have kids? I do. How many? Two. Boys or girls? Boy and a girl. How old's the boy? Boy's 31. 31. Okay. Let me ask you a question. When, first question I'm going to ask you, how did you father him versus the way your dad fathered you? What similarities? What was different? Um, <laughs> I never called my kid a name. Okay. My dad called me cabrón and a couple other things. Hey, <laughs> a lot of times. But that's a love term, Yeah, too. that's a love term. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, and, you know, I tried to be a lot like my dad. Okay. I think my dad okay. did a really pretty great job. He really did. He was a very affectionate guy. I, you know, I always hugged and kissed my dad. I remember when I was uh, moved down here, you know, and the first time I hugged and kissed my dad in front of my American friends, they looked at me like, you know, I'm watching them shake their dad's hand. I go, you shake your dad's hand? You're his son. You shake it. I hug and kiss my dad. I mean, I did that all the time, you know. Right. Um, so I tried to be that way with, with, with my son. Um, I, my dad was not much of a sports guy. Except boxing. He loved boxing. Um, so I tried to be more supportive of my What did kids. your son play? Did he play any sports? My, my son, he, he played uh, volleyball. Nice. Um, yeah, he played volleyball. How tall did he grow up to be? He's almost 6'4". Oh, yeah, wow, so um, he's a good link. And he was a swimmer. He was a great was swimmer. A swimmer. Big time swimmer. So how, how I view this, Ron, is instead of an age, I view a journey and how I attack and approach obstacles. And mm -hmm. adversity. So I'm always looking for adversity yeah. in boys. And then I watch. So biggest mistake parents will make with a three, four, five, six-year-old is they'll get out of the car. First of all, the dad's present is very rare because they're either working, they right. don't care, they're not around, all these things. So right. that's, that's number one. So I'll watch a mom get out of the car, holding her son's hand, carrying her son's equipment, <laughs> With the toddler in her hand and the dude walking in like da, 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 like life is great. Yeah. So you can't bring a baby onto a field and expect a warrior. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. So immediately I attack those things. I don't focus on results. I focus on effort and attitude. Right. Sportsmanship. So that's where I start attacking that. Through that, through positive influence, because what I do is I set the tone right away. Like you do with the animal. You let the animal know when you walk into the cage, hey, look. This is what's about to happen. Yeah. Uh, you know the rules. You don't want to first. So I do the same thing on whatever field I'm at. Usually right. it was baseball field. Now it's all kinds of field. We're golfers, comedians, you everything across the board. Yeah. So I set the tone right away. But then I start with a ton of positive effort, like positive affirmation. I'm the biggest cheerleader you ever have for doing the dumbest things in the world. You pick up this <laughs> tape and you put it there. i be like, Ron, that's a great job with the tape, dude. I love how you did that. Yeah. Because I start winning you over. Yeah. Yeah, they need support. They need support. And any bullshit support, it's honest, good support. And then after that, then comes the player development. Yeah. Then I say, instead of putting a tape like this, buddy, now let's put it like that. So that's all through elementary. Middle schools where challenges start coming in. Mm -hmm. That's when all of a sudden, Ronald went from 5'5 to 6'2. You're still 5'5. Right. How do we compete against him? Like That's when I start getting the brain going. High school, 
I'm a hundred percent support. Yeah. With the the rules that I'm tough at is dating, drug culture, what we're doing. I'm super communicative with that. Yeah. And then now when we get to college, is dude, you're on your own. I'm here, but I never ever put down. I never ever say, oh, I'm gonna cut you off or whatever because I feel that parents, and you're a perfect example of this. If you don't set the tone for what's coming, you can't expect your kids to mm -hmm. handle anything. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think you do that amazingly. Dude. Try to do it, lead by example. You know, yeah. I mean, that's that's my family. I mean, that's everybody there. And I mean, uh, these are things that for me, um, that's the most important thing in life. Right. So I've been very fortunate. My parents set a wonderful example. Um, I've, I've been very lucky. I really have been very, very lucky in my life. I tell people, if I die tomorrow, nobody should shed a tear for me because I've done things no, I've never dreamed of. No, you're great, dude. I'm happy and just fun. Been very it's lucky. Fun. Been very lucky. Here's the man, Ron McGill. Are you on any social media at all? Or yeah, no? yeah, sure. I'm on Instagram at Ron McGill Wildlife. I'm on Facebook. I'm also on Twitter at Ron McGill. So I'm on those. And I have a website, ronmcgill.org. So you can find the website there. Well, find them there. Feed the beast. He's gonna be here. He's gonna feast with the beast, baby. Feast with the beast. Yeah. He's gonna be here. He's gonna host. He's gonna talk. The whole thing. <laughs> we'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much.